Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Park Kids have given us a great introduction to the day of Pentecost. I'm going to focus on what happened immediately afterwards. And what happened uh, afterwards was a sermon as Peter preached. And we're going to read of that now in Acts chapter 2 and reading from verse 14 until verse 41. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because he will not abandon me to the grave, nor will let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
when the people heard this. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Amen. May God add his blessing to this reading of his holy word. There is a jingle which used to be taught (coughs) concerning the Bible. It's very simple. Indeed, verging on the simplistic, but still fundamentally correct. A short memory test will follow, so listen carefully. (laughs) A joke, but listen carefully to the jingle. It goes like this. The Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The Gospels, Jesus revealed. The Acts, Jesus preached. The Epistles, Jesus explained. And Revelation, Jesus expected. In short, to repeat a phrase used by the Reverend John Fearful when he preached here on Monday Thursday, it's all about Jesus. He is the climax, the center, the substance of the whole Bible. To quote 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 in the Revised Standard Version, all the promises of God find their yes in him. It's all about Jesus. And that is precisely what we find in Acts 2, which I invite you to turn to now. Empowered by the Spirit, the preaching of the first church in Jerusalem, the preaching of Peter is all about Jesus, all about his story, his good news, his gospel. Our challenge is to be faithful to that gospel. And so, like Peter, we must focus on Jesus. It is, after all, his gospel. Therefore, Jesus must be our beginning, middle, and end. But how do we do that faithfully? How do we keep it all about Jesus? By following the framework we find in Acts 2. By following Peter as he preached Jesus Christ, as he preached the gospel on that first Pentecost. The pattern laid down at Pentecost is the preaching of Christ, his coming, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his salvation, his new community. And And if that doesn't deserve the title of it's all about Jesus, I don't know what does. The preaching of the first century church, the preaching of Peter, is all about Jesus, his coming. At first sight, this may seem something of a misnomer. For Peter starts telling the crowd that they are not drunk, but filled with the Spirit, and then focuses on the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel, as God's Spirit falls in all flesh. But the prophecy finds its fulfillment In Jesus Christ, as Peter declares, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And in so doing, Peter binds the living Lord and the living God inextricably together. If you go back into the Old Testament to Joel 2 and verse 32, you'll find the word Lord 
presented in capital letters, signifying Yahweh, the living God. Here, in verse 21, it's capital L-O-R-D, signifying Jesus Christ. They are one. God is in Jesus, and Jesus is in God. As other scriptures corroborate, Jesus is God. Emmanuel, God with us. The one who has come to us, that we men and women might come to God. There would have been no coming of the Spirit without the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 33 tells us that plainly. It is Jesus who has poured out the Spirit. Pentecost is, of course, about the coming of the Spirit. But like floodlights lighting up a building at night, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is always and ever to floodlight Jesus, to light him up, lift him up, exalt him before men and women, proclaim his uniqueness, lift the Savior to the highest heights. That's the only place that does him justice. In our communication of Christ, we have to seek to do him justice. Inevitably, we will fall short. But as we speak of him, we have to be ever conscious of who he is. Yes, a man, as verse 22 tells us, but a man who demonstrated by miracles the power of God. Jesus is the man who was and is God. Come to men and women that, as I've just said, we might come to God. The God who comes to seek and save the lost. The God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The one who came, that those who call in him might be saved. His coming is what this prophecy is about and his coming again. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That great and glorious day is not about his first coming, but about his second coming, his coming again in judgment. And thereafter, there will be no opportunity on this earth to lift the Savior high. And that is something worth pondering. Now is the time to tell of Jesus, to talk of him, to say that our hope is in him and him alone. To say that perhaps falteringly to friends and family and acquaintances as we're given the opportunity. When he comes again in glory, thereafter, there will be no opportunity to tell others of his goodness, his grace, his greatness. No opportunity to tell of his saving death. I was with wee Jacob when he said death, as far as Pentecost was concerned, because there is a real focus on the death of Jesus at Pentecost. We're moving on to that very shortly. But first, we stand to sing Mission Praise 1334. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's all about Jesus, his coming, his death. This man, says Peter, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. God's will, 
humankind's doing, God's salvation, humankind's sin, Christ's death is simultaneously attributed by Peter to the purpose of God and the wickedness of humanity. Peter is intent on stressing the sovereignty of God and the sinfulness of humankind, God's redemption and humankind's responsibility. Horatius Bonner, dubbed the Prince of Scottish Hymn Writers, expressed this responsibility well. "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. This is the uncompromising truth that the cross and Christ's death upon it presents us with. Christ died for our sins. As 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, one of the very earliest creeds of the church tells us, my sin took Jesus to the cross. And if we are to be faithful to God's word, this is the message we have to preach. His death and our responsibility for it. But also, his resurrection. Killed by men, Christ was raised by God. It was impossible for death to keep its hold in him. Verse 24 told us, he rose again on that glad day. He rose, remember the old chorus, we will rise, we will rise on that resurrection morning, we will rise. It's all about Jesus, his resurrection. He rose, we shall rise. We will know victory over death. We will know resurrection power. We will know glorified, spiritually enhanced bodies. And oh, what a promise that is as we get on. We preach his resurrection. It is the bedrock foundation of all New Testament hope and living. The fact that death will give up its dead, will not have power to hold them, means that we have every reason to persevere in the Christian life and walk with the risen Lord day by day, proclaiming his resurrection, as Peter does, preaching across the breadth of Scripture. As he's used the prophet Joel with regard to the pouring out of the Spirit, Peter uses Psalm 16 to undergird the truth of the resurrection. Therefore my heart is glad and tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. In this psalm, says Peter, David spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. As I said in opening, the Old Testament is Jesus predicted. The gospel witnesses, the apostles, did not preach and teach the death and resurrection of Christ in a vacuum, but in the context of Scripture. And of course, their teaching became the New Testament. Thus, all of Scripture witnesses to Christ, as we indicated in our opening jingle. Old Testament, Gospels, Acts, Epistles, Revelation, all of Scripture. This is where we find the genuine article. Therefore, in communicating Christ, what we do must be earth in Scripture. I once remember seeing a poster. A church without the Bible is like a tree without roots. In our communication of Christ, all that we see has to be earth in Scripture. We have no liberty 
to preach a Christ of our own making. Today, even within the church, there are those denying the physical resurrection of Christ. Their message is that love is stronger than death, and that is a much more awesome claim than that they put Jesus in a tomb and that he wasn't there three days later. But Scripture tells us that is not the case. Scripture tells us that he rose again. This passage clearly tells us that he rose again. God has raised this Jesus to life, says Peter in verse 32. And we are witnesses of the fact. Of course, we affirm love is stronger than death. But not because it sounds good to modern ears. But because, as already said, death could not hold Jesus. He walked free. He stood tall on the Galilean shore. He cooked fish for breakfast. He appeared before more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 6 tells us, our responsibility is to preach the genuine article. The authentic Christ, as we find him in the Old and the New Testament, we have to continue in the line of faithful witnesses using Scripture as a rule, not present-day opinion. Using Scripture in community in Christ will ensure such faithful witness to him, to his coming, to his death, to his resurrection, to his exaltation. In which regard, the Old Testament is once again used, as Peter quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Peter now jumps straight from Jesus' resurrection to his exaltation to God's right hand. From this position of absolute power, having received the promised spirit from the Father, Jesus pours the spirit out. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Exalted on high, he pours out the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. His coming brings the Spirit in Pentecostal power. There is a Redeemer, God's only Son, we sing of him now in Mission Praise 673. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. It's all about Jesus, his salvation. A recent post on Facebook by Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, Jesus is peace, Jesus is hope, Jesus is justice, Jesus is healing, Jesus is love, but above all, Jesus is salvation. Salvation he alone can give. Salvation from sin. Sin, wrongdoing of any kind. Sin, its power to corrupt and condemn made real as God's word speaks to sinners. Salvation from Christ comes with conviction of sin as the Spirit works within a heart to convict someone that what they're doing is wrong in God's sight. That's what happens here. 
cut to the heart, convicted by the Spirit, the people say in verse 37, what shall we do? And Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They must repent, completely change their mind about Jesus and their attitude to him. It's all about Jesus. It's him alone that counts. Be baptized, says Peter, in the name of Jesus as a clear public token of repentance. They must repent. The Greek word for repent, or repentance rather, is metanoia. It is made up of two parts. Meta, meaning change, and noia, meaning mind. It's a change of mind about sin, self, and saviour. The issues in changed conduct, changed hearts, changed lifestyle. Repentance, repenting, turning from sin to Christ, turning away from those things that are not of Christ, turning to faith in him. That's what repentance is about. It's a turn. It's a turn away from self and turn towards the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not great faith we need, said Hudson Taylor, but faith in a great God. What we need is faith in Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, all about our allegiance to him. Be baptized, says Peter, in the name of Jesus, as a clear public token of repentance and faith in him, and receive his salvation, receive his forgiveness, the forgiveness of your sins. Mark Twain said, forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Jesus, the suffering servant, was crushed for our iniquities, that we might smell the fragrance of forgiveness in our lives. The forgiveness of sins that wipes away the past. These are words of a song a friend of mine wrote. Yesterday's gone, as dead as a stone. And I find I can walk now and trust in God's power alone. Yesterday's gone now, and I cannot explain how it makes me feel happy, for my life is living again. Oh, but it's great to be waking this day and to find accusations are all thrown away. To know that the dark powers no longer ensnare and that God has forgiven you for what you once were. The promise of forgiveness for what you once were. The assurance that in Christ we are a new creation. I am a new creation. No more in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. The gospel promise of forgiveness. A promise, Peter says to the crowd, that is for you and your children. One of the verses Presbyterians appeal to in advocating child baptism. A whole sermon, probably two or three, could be preached in this verse. Thankfully, today is Pentecost. And it being Pentecost, we press on to what else is promised. The gift of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit within, driving us working through us, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of God's empowering presence, invading, 
energizing, vitalizing, renewing, convicting, strengthening us to make us new people, Jesus people. Do we take the Spirit seriously? Do we take his power seriously? Listen to the way Paul concludes one of his prayers for the church at Ephesus. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Believing in the Bible, we hold to the truth that when we are converted, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit. God in Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, comes and makes his home with us. The Holy Spirit enters our lives, dwells with us. And Ephesians 3 and verse 20 tells us he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Does that create expectancy in us? During my visits to Russia, the big difference I have discerned between myself and brothers and sisters in Christ working in the salvation centers is that they have a much greater expectancy that God will act in power, turn up and transform situations. Do we expect God to work according to his power? Do we expect God's promise with regard to the Spirit to be fulfilled in us? The gospel promises of forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit. Forgiveness and the Spirit received in salvation, publicly signified in baptism. Peter, again, I say, calls for a public radical testimony of conversion, faith in Jesus Christ, not a private, non-committal request for salvation with no response. Repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On commenting this verse, John Calvin says, we have in these few words almost the whole sum of Christianity, namely how a man renouncing himself and taking farewell of the world may addict himself wholly to God. Those words jumped out at me. I think principally because addict yourself wasn't language I expected to find in a Calvin commentary. Addict ourselves wholly to God. What a powerful image to be presented with. Calvin calls us to addict ourselves to God in Christ, become as dependent on him as an addict is for his or her drug, as dependent on his forgiveness, as dependent on his power, power to save, that we might become part of his body, a part of his new community, his new community, the church, which as a result of Peter's preaching multiplied 26 times from 120 to 3,120. 3, I didn't actually check the math there, so you might, you might come back at me and say, that's not right, but whatever, it is a big number. It is great growth. And this is the impact that Jesus Christ can have. Was this only for then? At the recent General Assembly of the Church held in Perth, the report of the Overseas Committee told of Christians visiting a small Cambodian village 
while there, they led a Bible study on how we can be God's salt and light in the world. As a result, 50 people became Christians, and 25 of them got baptized by the local pastor. Praise God. The name of Jesus still has power to change lives. Jesus, the one declared on that first Pentecost as Lord and Christ, and proclaiming Christ, Peter warned the crowd and pleaded, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Eugene Peterson translated this in the message as a sick and stupid culture. Should that not be applied to our culture? The first century was not so different from the 21st century. The question is, what about the church of the 21st century with regard to the church of the first century? Pentecost was the launch pad from which the first century church went into all the world and turned it upside down. That's how the Revised Standard Version translates Acts 17 and verse 6. Christians turned the world upside down. The church burst out of its cultural box, going to Samaritans and thereafter, and what was an incredible leap of faith at that time, to uncircumcised Gentiles, soon taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the very heart of the Roman Empire, and so doing, declaring that the gospel was for all. This is the impact that Jesus Christ can have, breaking down barriers. Previously guarded, going to people previously regarded as beyond the pale. And in modern terms, that means that there is no one in Uddingston beyond the reach of the gospel. Today, with regard to the sowing of the seed of the gospel, the soil in Scotland may be hard. But Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, still has the power to transform lives through his people, the church. The question is, as Christ's church, his body, his mouth, his arms, his legs, will we evidence the quality of life and relationships that will lead to the world believing in him? Will we be evidence of the newness of life that can be found in Jesus Christ? Will we be his new community? Will we shine, as we were singing earlier, from the inside out, so that the world will see that he lives in us? Will we be the people that God intends us to be? Will we be people of the Spirit? People in whom the Holy Spirit of God dwells. So that the world may believe. In the years following on from that first Pentecost, that's what happened. God's people showed forth the love of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it was pagans outside the church 
who said, see how they love one another. We know these churches weren't perfect. The New Testament letters tell us so. But those outside the church saw something of the reality of the living Lord Jesus Christ in them. The newness of life he can bring. And so the church grew and grew rapidly. What do people see in us, Christ's body? What do they see in us, his church in Uddingston? Did they see that newness of life? Did they see a community of people in which the love of Jesus Christ makes the presence of Jesus Christ a living reality? I say again, do we shine from the inside out? Do people outside see in us a concern for this community? Peter was concerned. He pleaded. He warned. What do people see in us can they see us? Are we visible? Do they see us? Do they see a church in which it is all about Jesus, all about the gospel, his coming, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, his salvation, his new community? It has to be all about Jesus, all about the gospel, the one declared on that first Pentecost as Lord and Christ, whether in the first church of Jerusalem or in Park Church in Uddingston, the gospel of Jesus Christ has to be proclaimed. For he is the climax, the substance, the center of everything. In him, all the promises of God are yea and amen. It's all about Jesus. It has to be. For there is a salvation in no one else. Amen. As the offering is brought forward, <clears throat> we stand again to sing Mission Praise 1003. My Jesus, my Savior, we sing it through twice. My Lord, we ask that you would take these offerings and use them. Use them, Lord, that others might come to know that there is nothing better than the promise of having you and all that you bring. Use these, our offerings, Lord God, to lift the name of Jesus high. And this we ask in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.